Hello, hello, hello. God is good all the time. Hey, you all sound like you're awake. I wish I could say the same for myself. <laughs> I, if the change of weather has caused me to have some drainage. So I got up this morning and I took not one but two of those, uh, uh, you know, allergy type things. Man, it hit me about 7.30 and I, if I fall asleep, somebody's got to come up here and throw a book at me, okay? And get, get me going, <laughs> slap me around a little bit, throw water on me or something. But uh, it's definitely working. I, have you ever had the jitters and be sleepy at the same time? I've drunk three or four cups of coffee trying to counteract the other things. So I'm jittery and I'm sleepy at the same time, so it's, it's a problem. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I, think, I think we'll be just fine. I, I did want to say, in case you hadn't heard, uh, our home groups do start this evening. Uh, we have one group that's, that has had to cancel for this evening only, and that's due to a sickness in the family. And that was uh, Valerie Lee Masters' group. And I just say to uh, those folks, uh, you're certainly welcome to come here to the building. We've got a group going here. But, um, you know, you might look at some of the other groups that look a little empty maybe and fill in there. But uh, I hope you will be able to make it to one of the groups. This is really good material that we're looking at uh, uh, here with uh, Andy Stanley, the best question ever. And uh, I think he's, uh, I think he's got a good angle on this, and, and you should enjoy it. All right, our lesson today is a continuation of something we started last week. It's a story from the Old Testament. It's the story of those 12 spies who were sent up into Canaan land the first time that the Israelites came up against the southern border of Canaan. And those spies went up into the Canaan land. They were there for 40 days. And when they came back, they had two reports. They were divided. There was a majority report that came from 10 of those fellows. And there was a minority report that came from two. So the majority report was endorsed by 10 out of the 12. And basically what it said was, Canaan land is a great place. It's amazing. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And it's fertile. But we can never take the land. And these fellows had gone up into the promised land. They'd gone into, and when I say promised land, I mean the land that God had promised Abraham and all of his descendants from the time of Abraham going forward. God has said, I'm going to give you a land. I'll make a great nation out of you. And through you, all, through your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so here's the land finally. And the nation, those, those two parts of the great promise made to Abraham are being fulfilled. But they said that they saw many wonderful things over there in Canaan land. But they also saw some things that terrified them. They saw that there were uh, five, six, seven other nations larger than they were, more powerful than they were, more technologically advanced than they were, uh, uh, nations that had uh, weapons that they didn't have. And uh, that gave them pause. And they saw that uh, each of these nations in, in Canaan land had fortified cities. And we're talking about walls 30, 40, 50 feet high, 12, 15 feet thick. And we know... Uh, basically what the uh, size of these walls were from archaeological work that's been done. And the most frightening thing of all, though, were the giants that were in the land. They were called the sons of Anak, and also known in other parts of the Bible as the Nephilim, the fallen ones. And that's what uh, Nephilim means, the fallen ones. So Canaan was a wonderful place, but it had some insurmountable obstacles. 
uh, if it was going to be taken. And the final report from these guys, the majority report was, uh, we cannot possess this land. It would be a suicide mission for us to go in. Then came the minority report. This was a report that was given by one man, a fellow named Caleb, and then endorsed by another person, a pretty famous person. His name was Joshua. They were two of the 12 spies. And uh, Caleb's report was given in one sentence. This is Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30. And it's basically out of, the, out of the King James Version. Let us go up at once and take the land, for we are well able to overcome it. That was, his, uh, uh, that was Caleb's uh, view of the whole thing. Let us go up at once and occupy the land. Take the land, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb saw the same things that the rest of the spies had seen. He saw the giants. He saw the fortified cities. He saw the nations more powerful, bigger than they were. But his attitude was completely different than from the ten. And for this different spirit, Caleb is commended by God. And so we're looking at Numbers chapter 14 and verse 24, where God, this was at the end of our scripture reading this morning, where God says, but my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. That was God's assessment of who Caleb was. He's commended by God. Last week, we looked at the spirit of the majority. We talked about those things. And there were basically four things that we looked at uh, concerning the, the, those ten spies who came back and convinced the nation that they didn't need to be going up into that land too. One was the spirit of fear. I mean, it's just a simple, a simple thought, but that was the big thing. They were just afraid. There was a spirit of magnifying problems, exaggerating problems. As these, as these spies gave the report and repeated it over and over again the walls got higher and thicker the giants got bigger the nations got more powerful they and, and you, you can there's places where you can see this coming out it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger they were magnifying the problems and then there was the spirit that looked for the easiest way out and i'm convinced that uh, when the 12 spies went into the promised land what they uh, what they found they found the giants they found walled cities they found uh, nations more powerful than they. What they really wanted to find was a couple dozen midgets in wheelchairs who were scared of their shadow. People would be pretty easy to run out of there, but that isn't what they found. And so that, that they were looking for the easy way out, the quickest way to actually take possession of the land, and it wasn't going to be that way. And then there was a the spirit that preferred the security of slavery to the risks of living as free men under God's leadership in Canaan. It was just, uh, they looked back upon their slavery in Egypt as the good old days because they had three squares and a cot. And, uh, you know, that, that things were predictable, and that, that's what they liked. But they were slaves. To go into Canaan land and be free was going to be work. They were going to be risking their life. There were a lot of things that weren't going to be just taken for granted. And so this week, I want to look at the spirit of Caleb. I mean, we've talked about the spirit of the uh, of the 10, the majority report. But this week, I want to just kind of come back and I want to talk about the spirit of Caleb and why he is commended by God. He was a man of a different spirit, a spirit that God commended. There are five facets of this spirit that I want to just point you to. And the first one is the spirit of faith. The exact opposite of fear is faith. Uh, you know, every coin has two sides. There's a flip side. The flip side of fear is faith. The flip side of faith is fear. 
And so, whereas on the one hand, the ten were full of fear, Caleb and Joshua were full of faith. Paul said to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 1, 7, I have to say this verse again, because I, I just always think of this verse. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. And so if we're full of fear, I guarantee you that hasn't come from God. That's come from somewhere else. And my best guess is that's something that Satan is arranging for you and putting in you the spirit of fear. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. And it was the spirit of faith, the spirit of power and love and a sound mind that was in, that was in Caleb. When you look at the faith and the confidence that's in Caleb's report, we might think that Caleb is a man confident in himself, but that's not the case. This is not so much a man who is confident in himself as he is a man who has faith and confidence in his God. That was the difference between uh, Caleb and the, and the other spies. Caleb was part of that generation that had been led out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. He had witnessed the ten plagues that God brought upon the land of Egypt. He'd seen God in action as he parted the seas, parted the waters of the Red Sea, and the nation walked across on dry land. He'd seen water come from a rock. He had seen uh, the miracles of the quail and the manna. He had seen the pillar of fire that led them by night, and he'd uh, seen the cloud that led them by day from place to place. He'd heard the voice of God thunder from the mountain. He'd felt the earth shake as God spoke to Moses on the mountain, Mount Sinai. And he saw the tablets in Moses' arms when they, Moses came off the mountain. And he knew that they had been written by the finger of God. And he believed in that God. And this is the God that had led him out of Egypt and delivered him from every evil thing along the way, every difficulty. All the rest of the spies had seen the same thing, but there was no faith, or very little faith. With Caleb, that was different. There was great faith in him. And so this was the basic difference between uh, Caleb. Uh, the basic difference between himself and the ten spies was this matter of faith. And it's the simple things like faith that make the difference. There's nothing profound about what I'm saying this morning. I mean, you all know this, that you can't be a Christian. You can't be effective as a Christian. Uh, you can't receive God's blessings. You can't do anything for God unless you have faith in him. You're not going to be blessed by God without faith. And that's just the simplest, the simplest thing I can possibly say. But it's the simple things that make the difference. And it's the simple things that are sometimes the very hardest to do. But faith made the difference. Caleb was not the most uh, educated guy in Israel. He wasn't the most talented or gifted. He wasn't the most intelligent. He wasn't the richest by, by far. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't the most experienced or the best looking. He wasn't the strongest guy in the land. That, that Caleb was none of those things. But here's what he had. He had faith in God. That was the basic difference between himself and the ten spies and the rest of the nation. And God commended in Caleb that spirit of faith which says... And this, this, these are verses that are found in our New Testament. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not me, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. He's given the list of the most awful uh, tragedies and, and suffering and persecution you can possibly imagine in the verses preceding. And then he says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. He said, we're going to win. 
We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. First John chapter 4, or chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, John tells us something about faith. He says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We are the ones, those who have faith. And that's the kind of man that Caleb was. And so the simplest thing, the most profound thing that we can do as Christians is simply to put all of our faith in the God who made us and who saved us through his son. Everything else that we do as Christians flows out of that. God is calling us into our own promised land. Our promised land is the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the church. He's calling us through faith in him and in his son. That's how he calls us. But there are giants and walled cities and obstacles in the kingdom, in the land. There's things we have to deal with. But by faith, we can overcome those obstacles and we can fully possess our own salvation. What are those obstacles? What am I talking about when I say obstacles? Well, I'm talking about materialism. I'm talking about greed. I'm talking about being a workaholic. I'm talking about excessive worry. I'm talking about the, the habits of the flesh. I'm talking about the ignor- our, sometimes our ignorance of the word, our unforgiving spirit, our fits of rage and bitterness and self-pity and all those things that, that take our eyes off of God. I'm talking about the friends who oppose us and undermine us in our faith. I'm talking about the biggie, fear. Those are the giants in the walled cities that we have to take on in order to fully possess our salvation. Some of us have the spirit of the majority, but we're, and we're like people who come to the edge of something really wonderful and something really great, and we just stand there and we look over at all that's waiting for us there, and all we can see are the problems, the obstacles. That was the spirit of the majority. But by faith, we can overcome those obstacles. Some of us have the spirit of Caleb. Let us go up at once and occupy the land, for we are well able to overcome it. That is the spirit of faith. There's another facet to this spirit that I'm talking about for Caleb that caused him to be commended, and that's the spirit said, do it, that says, do it now. Don't wait, do it now. I'm going to put the, our verse back up there. It's Numbers 13 and 30. Let us go up at once and take the land, for we are well able to overcome it. And it's those, it's the, about the fifth and sixth words in that line. Let us go up at once. Let us go up at once and take the land, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb didn't say, let's do it tomorrow or sometime later. Caleb didn't say, let's go up after we've taken care of this or that. Let's go up after we've had supper or when we're more rested and we feel better. Let's go up on, you know, when the weather's better. And he said, let's go up at once and take the land, for we are well able to overcome it. Let's go up today. Let's go up right now, because that, uh, Caleb understood that that's what God wanted. Some of us have all the best intentions in the world. We really do intend to fully possess our salvation someday. But we tend to keep on postponing and putting off those steps that we have to take to possess our salvation. We keep thinking there'll be a better time, a more convenient time, a time when that, that, that'll just fit into our schedules and our lifestyle and our, our everything better. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 and 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. 
But many of us live as if we had all the time in the world. And I think probably the most effective lie that Satan has ever told any human being is that, well, you've got plenty of time. You can put the, you can take care of this later. And I wonder how many people who would have become Christians, who would have confessed their faith in Christ, if they'd done it when they first thought about it, and it first hit them that they needed to, I wonder how many of those people have ended up in a Christless eternity because they thought they had more time. I'm afraid there's way too many. But some of us have the best intentions in the world. We really do intend to fully possess our salvation, but we don't have that time. Caleb was a man of a different spirit. He said, let's go up at once and take the land, for we are well able to overcome it. There are some instances when timing is everything with God. And I, I don't know how to explain this, but if, if, if you can imagine uh, the spies coming back from Canaan land, they spent their 40 days there, and they came back on Tuesday. God was expecting them to go into that land on Wednesday. Wednesday would have been the good day. Wednesday was a day when God was, it was right on. They were all together. They were agreed. Yes, this needs to be done. They came back on Tuesday. Let's go up Wednesday. But this is a group of people who waited till Thursday. They just waited one extra day. And it made all the difference in the world. If you go on and read on through Numbers chapter 14, right now is exactly what God expected. When the nation failed to go in, God wanted to destroy them. He was just tired of them. He put up all their mumbling and grumbling and, and whining and crying and moaning and groaning and everything for, for several months. And he was tired of it. And he said, Moses, just step away. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of these people. I'm going to destroy them. And Moses didn't step away. But Moses begins to intercede for the nation of Israel. And he finally convinces God, no, God, I, don't need, I don't need to kill them after all. God does finally relent. But God does say something to Moses. He says, all right, I'm not going to kill them. I'm going to stick with them. But you've got to give them a message. And here's my message. He says, I want you to tell the people this. Because they delayed in their obedience, they will now wander in the wilderness for 40 years until every adult male of the present generation has died. And when the Israelites heard this, it finally registered with them what a terrible mistake that they had made. And so on Thursday, they were supposed to go up on Wednesday. On Thursday, this is what happens. It's Numbers chapter 14, verses 39 and 40. When Moses spoke these words to the sons of Israel, the people mourned greatly. And in the morning, we'll say it's Thursday, one day later. However, though they rose up early and went up to the ridge of the hill country saying, here we are. We have indeed sinned, but we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised. Oh, yeah, we're ready to go now. We know how important this is. We know you really meant what you said yesterday. We're ready to go up today. And God said, too late. Too late. Didn't change anything as far as God was concerned. These uh, silly people went ahead and went on in there anyway without God's blessing. And uh, here's what happened, verse 45. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and struck them and beat them down as far as Hormah. If they had gone in on Wednesday like they were supposed to, the outcome of that battle right there would have been very different, but they went up on Thursday. It's just one day out of sync, just one day late. And it was disaster for these people. And that's what I'm saying, this, this whole thing, let us go up at once. 
and take the land, for we are well able to overcome it. Timing is everything with God. Do not put off till tomorrow what you can do and know to do today. Caleb was a man of a different spirit. Let us go up at once and take the land, for we are well able to overcome it. Then there's another kind of facet of uh, Caleb's spirit I want to mention here, and that is just leadership. I think he had a really good grasp of what being a leader was. And here's what I want to say. It's not always an easy thing to lead God's people. If you were to ask Moses or Joshua or David or Solomon or any of them, Anyone who led in, in Old Testament times, they would say, yeah, it's, this is rough. I mean, you got God on one side and you got the people on the other side, and most of the time we're refereeing between, we're, we're just trying to keep people headed in the right direction and round it up and headed in the right direction, and God is, you know, sometimes he's mad at them. I've got to talk to him about that and get that straightened out. It's not always an easy thing leading God's people. I think most elders and deacons and preachers and teachers would agree It's not an easy thing. And that certainly comes out here in this record in Numbers chapter 14. When the nation had heard both reports, they chose to believe the ten, the report that came from the ten. They wanted to go back to Egypt and to their slavery. And God had four leaders who would not let the people turn back and go back to Egypt. In fact, what you see in Numbers chapter 14 in the early verses is Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb are all in front of these people, begging, crying, begging them to just do what God said to do. And no, we're not going back to Egypt. No, we don't want you to get, don't, don't go get someone and to lead you back. Uh, we need to go forward here. We need to go the direction God has said. And they're begging these people to do this. The interesting thing happens here. This is Numbers chapter 14 and verse 10. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. That's what I mean. Sometimes it's not easy to be a leader. Uh, uh, you know, they were doing the right thing. They were leading these people in the path that, that they really needed to travel. And, and, and events finally bore out to how right they were. But the congregation said, let's just stone these guys. We're not going to let them stop us. And then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. And Moses goes up and has a meeting with God. And that's where the intercession happens and all of that that I mentioned a moment ago. But as I said, it's not an easy thing to lead God's people. Besides all the things that push on us from the world, from the outside, the elders have to keep a sharp eye on what's going on inside the congregation too. It's not an easy thing. Uh, because sometimes things are happening internally that are as destructive as anything that's pushing from the outside. And sometimes uh, it's kind of like the people are saying, let's just go stone them. They're getting in our way. Not a good idea. Caleb was one of the four leaders who stood strong with God and against the people. And for being a strong and courageous and godly leader, Caleb is threatened with stoning. They didn't stone him, but they they wanted to. Caleb was a man of a different spirit. He's able to be strong in leadership when it counted, when it was absolutely necessary and right. That's the kind of spirit that was in Caleb. And so we have the spirit of faith, the spirit of right now, the spirit of leadership. And here's number four. 
Caleb had a spirit that desired to do God's will fully. There's a phrase that keeps coming up in, uh, in this story here in, in Numbers. I'm looking at Numbers 14, verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. And it's the part that I've underlined right there. He has followed me fully. That's God speaking uh, to Moses about the situation, about what's going on there with Israel. He said, you know, Caleb will be an exception here because he, he has followed me fully. And that, uh, that description kind of follows Caleb all the way through the, the other times that he's mentioned later on. It always follows him. He was the guy that followed God fully. Let me read, read some to you. Numbers 32, verses 11 and 12. This is God speaking through Moses to the people again. None of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swore to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob, for they did not follow me fully, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have followed the Lord fully. It's kind of, you, know, you kind of got a reputation here that's developing. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, this is like 40 years later, and, and Israel is just right there. They're, they've come back. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They're back to the border. And they're going to cross over the Jordan River, hopefully, and go into Canaan land. And as they're camped there, this is what uh, this, Moses recounts the whole history of what's happened with them. And so here's, here's Moses recounting everything that he remembers. Then the Lord heard the sound of your words, and he was angry. And he took an oath, saying, Not one of these men, these, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it. And to him and to his sons I will give the land on which he has set foot, because he has followed the Lord fully. And then we could go an, another five years down the way to the time when Caleb is actually, it's five years after this statement. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about Joshua chapter 14. Uh, this is, uh, you know, the chapter, uh, Joshua is about the conquest of the land. And Israel has taken a break. They've, they've had great success up to this point, and they take a break, and they've got to figure out what, what work they have yet to do. And two times in Joshua chapter 14, Caleb is identified again as the man who followed the Lord fully. That was his reputation. What does it mean to follow the Lord fully? Maybe uh, I could use another phrase here, and, and uh, you could do a lot with this. You could go off in a lot of different directions. But maybe this is the phrase I would use here. His heart was in it. His heart was in it. Just a little interesting tidbit here about, about heart in Caleb's name. When my Caleb was born, we had talked about a lot of different names. And uh, when, when, he, when he was born, the doctors came or the nurse came in and asked him what's his name. They didn't ask Serena. And she wasn't necessarily on board with, with this, but I think she's kind of settled with it now. Um, we're thir 33 years down the way, and you, you can't undo all this. But anyway, she was just a little bit mad at me because I, I went ahead and gave him his name. But uh, I had a friend who was a, a Hebrew scholar. He was born at a time when I was hanging out with those kind of people. And uh, I said, his name is Caleb. And he laughed at me. He said, ha, 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 ha. He says, you know what Caleb means in Hebrew? I said, yeah, I think I do. He said, it means dog. I, I said, say what? And, and what he was saying was true up to a point. 
those, those consonants, K, KL or CLB, if you want to put it that way, with certain vowel sounds attached to it, mean dog. And so I, he thought I was a crazy man because I named my kid Dog. But I, I hadn't named him Dog. There's another way you can put vowel sounds in between those consonants, and what it means is with the heart. With the heart. And that's what I really had in mind whenever, uh, whenever we, we named him Caleb. I thought, well, yeah, I like Caleb. I think he's a great character in the Bible. And his name means with the heart. His heart was in it. Maybe that's how he got his name. I don't know. But at work, you have people, we all have people who come to work and they want to see things happen. They, 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 they want to make, they want the company to be efficient. They want the company to make money. They, they want to produce quality things or, or do, provide quality services. Their, their heart is in it. They, they want to be there and they like what they're doing. They're wanting to do it. And, and, and man, that's a great employee, isn't it, to have somebody like that? or a great coworker whose heart is in what you're doing. But there are some people who come to work, maybe at the same place, who are just putting in time. You ever know those people? Or run into those people? There's probably more of them at most workplaces than there are people who really care. They're just putting in time. They don't care if anything really happens or not. Uh, they're going through the motions, trying to look busy, and they have no intention of doing any more than what they have to. And what I'm saying here about the workplace would be true on a sports team where you're expecting people to put out, you know, everything they can to make the team work. It's true in volunteer organizations, and we could probably mention several other places that it's true. But it's also true in the kingdom of God. That, that thing works in the kingdom of God, too. Everything I've said about the workplace and sports teams, I, I think that's busy at work in the kingdom of God. Well, Caleb's heart was in it. He really wanted to see great things happen in Canaan, and he wanted to be there. He wanted to see God's will fulfilled in Canaan. And he was ready to sacrifice and to give more and to try harder and to do whatever he had to do to make this thing work. His heart was in it. He was ready to follow the Lord fully, is the other way of saying it. And so when he is described as someone who followed the Lord fully, basically... We're just saying his heart was in it. It was the desire of his heart to see God's will done in all things. And then we come to number five. And this spirit that was in Caleb was a spirit of humility. Now, we don't know anything about Caleb before he is named a spy, made a spy, and sent up into Canaan land the first time. And we only know a few things about him following that time when he went up into Canaan land. Not a whole lot. We know that he eventually did enter the promised land. It took, uh, he wandered around with the rest of them for 40 years in the wilderness. But he was allowed to cross over, to cross over the Jordan and to go into the promised land. We know that he eventually did enter the promised land. We know that even at age 85, when he actually goes into the promised land, he's 80. And he fights for five years before you get to Joshua chapter 14. So it's been a five-year battle that they've been fighting. And they're having success. They're having great success. But in the middle chapters of Joshua, they stop and they rest. And they take stock of what's happened and what, they, what else they need to do. And there is some information about Joshua there in Joshua chapter 14. And this is, uh, this is what I want to say. Unlike Joshua, who was the other spy, 
Caleb was never elevated to the upper echelons of leadership in Israel. He seems to be one of those behind-the-scenes kind of people. He's just serving faithfully wherever the Lord puts him. He'll do the job, and he'll do a good job of it, regardless. Joshua's career had been quite different. When Moses passes on, Joshua is the guy who takes over the leadership of the nation. Everyone talks about Joshua. Everyone's got their eyes on Joshua. Everyone listens to Joshua. Joshua is the guy that commands the armies. Joshua is the one that led the conquest there. Caleb was every bit of the man that Joshua was. In fact, when, when the report comes back, it's Caleb who does the talking, and Joshua sits there with his mouth shut. He just says, yeah, that's right, that's right, amen. Caleb was doing the talking. But Caleb was every bit the man that Joshua was and certainly could have done it. And I've just wondered about this. I, I wonder if there wasn't some little jealousy that might have welled up in Caleb every now and then about how Joshua was being treated, how Joshua's life had progressed. I think that'd be a natural response for a human being to feel that way. But at age 85, Caleb appears in our Bibles again in Joshua chapter 14. And he's not jealous, and he's not sulking, and he's not bucking against the orders that Joshua gives. He's ready to fight. And there's a city in there's a city in Canaan that has not been taken yet. It is probably the most difficult city that would be taken in, the, in the, all of the conquest. It was the city of Hebron. And they put that one out there in front of all the other commanders and said, hey, uh, which, which one of you guys wants to go up to Hebron? Not, not a person stirred. No one said a word. No one wanted to do anything with that. You want to know why? Because Hebron was the hometown of the sons of Anak, the giants. But do you know who stepped forward? He said, it was a guy named Caleb. He's 85 years old. He said, give me Hebron. I'll take care of those guys. Me and the Lord will take care of those guys. He takes on the city that no one else wanted to take on. He volunteers to go up against Hebron the hometown of the sons of Anak. And in this part of the story, I think that Caleb had a spirit of humility that's displayed here. A spirit of humility that would allow him to step forward when he needed to and then to step back when it was over. I think that was kind of Humility is not always just shrinking back in a corner and letting everyone else go first. Uh, humility might require you to step back after you've done something really amazing. Just say, okay, you guys take it from here. I'll, I'll take care of this over here. But I see a, a spirit of humility in this man that allowed him to step forward and do great things when he was needed. And when the mission was accomplished, he was content to step back. Caleb was a man of a different spirit and a spirit that we as Christians need today. A long time ago, I heard someone compare the, the church to a, a steam locomotive, and it went something like this. Some people say, I'll be the bell. I want people to hear me as we move down the track. 
And some people say, I'll be the light. I want people to see how I light the way for everyone else. And some say, I'll be the cow catcher. Everyone can see how I clear the track and clear the way for everyone else. And some say, well, just make me the wheels. I want people to see how everything depends on me. And there are some people who say, I'll be the coal. Just throw me in the firebox and burn me up. I want to see this thing move. It takes a lot of different people to make the church go. But I can tell you this, we will never have too much coal in the kingdom of God. We could use a whole lot more than what we have. But Caleb saw himself as coal, and he accepted that role. And because of him and because of, I suppose, many other people who were like that, God's people moved on to victory in Canaan land. And I think that's one of the secrets to victory that we can have as a church and as Christians individually. Maybe there's someone here this morning that's not a Christian. Behold, now, today is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Uh, you have this opportunity. We're about to give it to you. To come before this group of people to confess your faith in Jesus Christ. To repent of your sins. To be baptized in the name of Jesus. And then to live your life as a Christian. And hopefully be a lot of really good coal to throw in the firebox and make things move. I hope you'll do that. But as we stand and sing this hymn of invitation, if you need to respond, I ask